Prepare your heart to be moved by God through the preaching and teaching of His Word as delivered at Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Matthew 6 and 32 and 33. 32 says, For after these things do Gentiles seek. Now this is picking up from the previous verses in Matthew 6 that talks about being hungry, um, food, raiment, clothing, all the things we have need of. And then he describes our value to the value of a lily or the value of a sparrow or a bird. And he says, if I care for them, how much more do I care for you? Um, he describes a bird who never spin or gather in the barns, no preparation. I mean, they just get up every morning, they're just free. And the Lord covers them and bless them. And he says he cares for us that much. And then he tells us we have all these needs. And when it's okay to have needs, but in verse 32, it says, after all these things do Gentiles seek. And it begins to put into place that while we have needs as humans and human beings, if we're not careful, we will only live according to our human needs seek out our human needs and never fulfill our spiritual needs. So that's why it says your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. That's good news. And again, I want to help destroy the pattern of anxiety that tries to run rampant in the lives of God's people. That God is so loving that he says you have needs, but I already know your needs. That's comforting. So when you even get to do the things we're going to talk about today, like praying, you never have to uh, live your life with God as if God doesn't already know. Everybody say he knows. He knoweth what you have need of. He said, but seek to although you have needs and he know you have needs. And I'll also add, he know you have desires, but his main priority to us is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. I want you to understand, to seek God first is not natural. It is not natural for you to seek God first. It is supernatural. It is spiritual. When you begin to seek God first, that means your mind is being renewed. When you start to seek God first, that means your trust in him is secure. When you start seeking God first, and I'm not talking from the perspective, again, that I want to help um, understand this, this message of God. I want you to understand that God is not talking about you and I having him in our lives. No, that's not what he's talking about. Having God. No, no, no. Because you can have God in your life and he can be fifth. But he's still in your life. You can have God in your life and he can be third. God's not talking about being third place in our life. God is talking about being first place in our life. And for God to be first place in our life, that takes supernatural of power and surrender. You don't know how much in your mind and soul you got to surrender for God to be first. For God to be first. For God to be first, I, I want you to remove from the fact of how easy you think it is for God to be first. When you already have the ability um, as a human being, he's created you, you got ingenuity, you got intellect, you have a soul, you got eyes, and with all those things you have, check this out, you can do a lot of things without the leading of God. 
You can do a lot of things without the leading of God. You can prosper without the leading of God. Oh, it's true. There are people prospering every day without God anywhere in their lives. So it's possible to have the life naturally that you may desire or the world desires of you without ever God being first. So God being first is supernatural. It takes submitting to spiritual authority to have spiritual destiny. It takes submitting to spiritual authority to have spiritual destiny. And so God says, I'm going to get you out of living based on just your needs. I'm going to get you to a place that you suppress your needs and allow me in my timing to fulfill every area of your life. I'm going to get you from constructing your own life and recognize that your life is already constructed in heaven. And it's your job to find out what he's already planned in your life and then wait and walk with him while he fulfills it in your life. And that's easier said than done. We got stories in the Bible that helps us understand the challenge to submit to spiritual authority. Here is God moves Abraham from a country where he is accustomed to paganism and he tells him go to a place that I send you. God is actually discipling and mentoring Abraham and, God, and Abraham doesn't really have any other people that he's leaning on because all his family members were in idolatry. God brings him out of there and say, go to a place that I will send you and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. God begins to transfer Abram, Abram and change his name to Abraham. And then when God, when he gets old, God has the nerve to talk about, I'm going to bless you with a son. Now you can act like that's easy, but when, when you've been waiting on God to do something for a long time and now you old and now you got to trust God. Abraham is like, I'm past the time of trusting you. I'm past the time of believing for your son. And matter of fact, he probably got to a place to say, you didn't do it then, I'm fine. He said, but the problem I have is you gave me a word that out of my seed was going to come all these blessings. So you got to do what you got to say. So it's possible that sometimes God would delay your, your heavenly promise, your spiritual destiny until the time where you are good and tired. And this is what happens to Abraham, and you know the story of Abraham. Abraham finds himself having a hard time uh, trusting God at this moment, and after uh, him and his wife are not able to do it, then uh, have, a have a baby, then he gets to handmaiding Hagar, and through the handmaid, he says, I'll find another way to bring God's promise to pass. Then after he has that child by the name of Ishmael, God says, no, I'm not accepting Ishmael as the promised seed. It even shows us that God don't even accept our mistakes as the promise. God said, I know what I want to do in you. I know what I created you to do. And I'm going to keep working on you and through you until I bring to pass what I have promised in our lives. I use that analogy to show you how challenging it could be uh, to fulfill God's call. But it only happens when you are submitted to spiritual authority. And too many of us are challenged now that we're grown adults on what it is to be submitted to spiritual authority. Now that we at our mama's house, our daddy's house, we make our own money. Now we got to learn to still be submitted to God. And anytime God decides to chastise us or correct us, some of us forget that we still somebody's child. <laughs> 
I said you're grown, but you're still somebody's child. You're God's child. That's what I'm talking about. And God will many times discipline us so he can get us to the place of our spiritual destiny. Let's go to Proverbs 3. Let's go to Proverbs 3. Because submission to authority is the key to spiritual destiny. Proverbs 3. I'm going to read several verses from Proverbs 3, and then I'm going to go to Hebrews after that. And as I lay the foundation, I'll teach, teach on three disciplines that is going to be important to fast 2022. Stay with me. Proverbs 3, if we begin at verse 1, follow me in your Bible. It's also on the screen. Thank you. It says, my son, forget not my law. But let thine heart keep my, keep my commandments. And so the law of God or the commandments of God is a form of correction or chastisement. It's a form of discipline, God's law and God's commandments. For the length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Don't lose mercy. Don't lose truth. Bind them about your neck. It means wear them as a reminder, as a necklace. Write them on the table of thine heart. So shall thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Look what it says. When you follow commandments, keep the commandments. These things help you live life on the earth. It helps the length of days of long life and peace will it add to thee. Also, when you have mercy and truth in your heart, it brings favor. Everybody say favor. favor. When you follow commandments, it also brings good understanding in the sight of God and, and man. That's just by following the commandments. It says, so shall thou find favor um, with God, with favor and good understanding with the sight of God and man. Verse 5, trust in the Lord. With all thine heart, all is expressive here. It could have been just trust the Lord with thine heart. With all thine heart, lean not to your own understanding. See, that's deliverance all by itself. How many believe you're smart? Oh my. Oh my. How many believe you're intelligent? Oh my. All right, look at some hands. It's like, geez, I got to do all the car early. These people don't believe in themselves. They don't believe that God gives them genius and gifts. So I got the Lord Jesus. I have more points to go. I got to do an altar call. But it says, lean not to your own understanding. That's a deliverance. To be smart, and God say, I need you to be smarter than me. To be intelligent, and God said, I don't need you to be more intelligent than me. He said, don't you lean to your understanding. Matter of fact, anything you have, God gave it. So you can't control God with nothing he gave you. You can't control God with nothing he gave you. He's the giver of the gift. So anything that you have, you can't use that to control God. Lean not to your own understanding. Oh, say in all thy ways. I'm still showing you what it is like to be submitted to authority. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Many people don't believe that God wants to be involved in every facet and every aspect of your life. That's why when the Christian church starts talking about sanctification, people start having challenges because there are some parts of our life that we have not given to the Lord. Why? Because we've decided what we want to do with that area of our lives. Right? But the Bible says, acknowledge him in all our ways, he should direct our paths. Be not wise 
in thy own eyes. See how challenging it is to submit? Because God has given us a gift and now we got to take our gift and submit it unto him. Fear of the Lord, fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to your bones. That means, that means it will get inside of you. When you're not wise in your own eyes and you start living in humility, this thing will get inside your inner man. Help to that navel and marrow to your bones. It gets inside of you. I believe when you really submit to God, it's not just an outward type thing. It's not about looking like a Christian. All right? And the church has changed so much that looking like a Christian, nobody knows what that is anymore. Because the church has changed so much. Before they had uh, codes of conduct and church had certain ways and things of that nature. And most parts, especially 20 years ago, uh, uh, the church many times had uh, dress codes. And people could tell that you went to church just because of how you dressed. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just by how you dress. There were just certain things. You know what I'm saying? You know, like women all the time wear, wore stockings for the most part. Wore stockings. I'm not saying anything about not wearing stockings. That ain't my point. I'm just point, proving the point that there, was, there are things that are outward side that were used to help us understand and identify Christianity. And help us understand, which is still a key word, which is called modesty. Hallelujah. And modesty don't just go for women. Tell, tell, all the men say modesty ain't just for women. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. We need some brothers with some modesty too. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Honor the Lord with thy substance. What? I'm telling y'all, see, this is the challenge about following God. People still don't believe that God wants everything. I'm telling you, when you really understand God, God wants everything. No, you, he wants everything. Everything. Well, everything. God wants everything. And he has a right to ask for everything. Because you, you haven't created anything. And a creator can always ask anything of the thing he created. He has rights and he has authority. And I'm telling you, in our carnality, in our flesh, there lies a spirit of rebellion that although we didn't start nothing, we want to act like we own everything. We had created nothing, but we want to act like we're the creator of everything. It says, honor the Lord. Honor him with thy substance. With the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns, listen to this, be filled with plenty and thy pressure burst out with new wine. So God said, when you honor me, it's not like I'm not going to give it back to you. So when you give up, it's the principle that I'm trying to get you to understand that you can't beat God given. And when you give anything to, the, to God, he'll match it, double it, and increase it more than you can imagine. But you got to get accustomed to what is called subtraction. We don't like subtraction first. We, we, like, we like increase without any subtraction. We like increase without any subtraction. We, we, we don't believe in the scripture says, I must decrease that he may increase. So we don't, we, we, we want to be, we want to be built up before we submit it down. You know, we, we, we always just want to look good 
at all times and never have no places of humility. So God is teaching the principle when we honor him with our substance, meaning subtraction from our account. <laughs> Somebody said that's subtraction. I got less now. We don't like that. I don't see how this is going to work. I just don't see how having less going to make me end up with more. And if you don't understand that principle, the enemy robs you of your time with God and you never find time to do anything for God because God many times start working that principle that you have to give up something to get something. So tell that bonds be, plenty, be filled with plenty and that pressure bursts out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction for whom the Lord loveth he correcteth even as the father the son in whom he delighted so one of the ways God begins to show that he loves you is to improve and correct your life Amen. and if you have a low demand of correction in your life it's a sign that you are far away from God the closer you get to God, it's the more he'll correct you and improve you and let you know when you're out of line. You know, that's important because there are still a mentality that says, well, God ain't convicted me about that. Potentially, you're not close enough. Potentially too far away from his word. You're too far away from his presence. Because the more you get in his word and the more you get in his presence, the more he aligns you with the image of what he wants you to look like. But if you are far away from him, of course you don't be convicted for about nothing. So you can't judge if you need to change based on if you're convicted or not. You have to get in his presence and in his presence he'll correct you. You know, I remember when I started the church, this is a form of correction, I'm just going to use an example. I started the church, and I'm growing as a pastor, you know, I'm growing as leading people. And I've told the story before, I'm going to use it as a point here. And I'm growing at leading people, and we were looking for a facility to start our church. Truth Gathers Community Church, excited, full of joy. And uh, like I said, we was going to pick the building, God said that ain't the one. So, all right, Lord. Found another one, settled it. I said, all right, that's it, 1,200 square feet. Went over to Sister Cynthia Douglas' house, talked to Brother Frank Douglas on the porch. He said, Pastor, what are we going to do with that little place? By the time we get our family in there and all that, that thing, Pat, we can't grow in there, Pastor. I felt like I heard God through him. I went back home. I got on my knees. I said, well, Lord, I, I said, Lord, I got on my knees. I said, Lord, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I said, Lord, what, what building you want us in? I'm just frustrated, Lord. I'm praying, right? Lord. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll go in the storefront. I'm humble. I'll go anywhere, Lord. It don't matter. Just, you know, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm, you know, Lord, I'm just talking to the Lord like that. The Lord said, get up and get out of my presence. I heard him clear as day, just like I hear everything else. I heard him clear as day, get up and get out of my presence. It was a form of correction. I was praying, but he said, you ain't praying, right? You're praying like I don't have already a building for you guys. Now, if you ain't my will and I called you the pastor and you're supposed to be pastoring, then I already got a place for you. Now, if you ain't supposed to be pastoring on your own, you, you got some, you're going to have a hard time. You got to figure this thing out. But he said, I already got a building for you. He said, get up off your face. Praying to me like that. It sounded religious. It sounded good. 
I was, Lord, this is the hardest thing I ever did. Wherever you want me to go, God, I'll go on stone front. I was getting it too. God said, get up. I don't know, huh? Get up. What you praying to me like that for? As if I ain't got this thing already worked out. Get off talking to me like that. It was a form of correction. The closer I got to him, he said, don't talk to me like that. Talking to me as if I called you to do something I ain't made no provision for you. What's wrong with you? Get out of my face praying like that. What kind of God you think I am? Called you the pastor and you ain't got no provision. And you around here like you got the bed for something. You around here and I ain't got nothing. He said, why don't you pray? This is what he said. Why don't you pray and ask me where it is? He said, why don't you pray and ask me where it is? It was a correction. He corrected me and said, no, pray and ask me where it is. So I quit all that other religious stuff and said, Lord, where the building? Show me where it is. Let me find it in the right time, in the right season. Let me find where you want this building to be. Because you told me the building we picked wasn't it. And the one that I thought was it because I was just ready to settle. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes when you're praying and things ain't happening right and you pressed, you just, just a building, this'll do. I was in that spirit and Deacon Frank was like, man, pastor, man. I just had a conversation with man, pastor, man, man. And I heard God through it. Went home and was like, God, I start praying. God was like, get out of my presence talking like that. Ask me where it is. And I began to ask God where it is. All of a sudden, three o'clock in the morning, I got, I couldn't sleep. I just couldn't, I got up and felt led to go to LoopNet. And there was a, a facility just went down. The price went down so low, I couldn't believe it. My mind says, I don't know if they made a typo or mistake. But I'm going to hold them to that price, boy. I'm going to argue that one down. I don't care if somebody made a typo on LoopNet. When I call them, we call them. I'm going to tell them, no, uh-uh, false advertisement. I was working in my mind how it was going to work that thing. I couldn't believe that price had went down so far. And finally, after some things and some time, that building came to us, and that was our first start, 6,000 square feet, and it was a major blessing to the growth of our church. It allowed us to grow. It allowed us to do everything God allowed us to do, and I'm trying to tell you, listen, when you start following God and getting his presence, he'll start correcting you and telling you what's in heaven. He'll start telling you and leading you to what's in heaven. But as long as you're going to hold on to your own understanding, guess what? You're going to have the life that you want. But I don't want the life that I want. My life was already written in heaven. And the life he desires for me to live is better than the life that I desire to live. Oh, you can't beat God planning your life. Who you think you are? You can't beat God planning your destiny. God has already planned the goodness of your life. And when you get out of your own understanding and get in his presence, he'll start unraveling and talking to you about who you are and what he wants you to do. Y'all hanging in? Let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Telling you God is trying to correct us right now. I'm trying to tell you God is trying to correct us. And I get, I'm, my encouragement is for some of you to open up to correction. Open up for your course to be corrected by God. Open up for your life to be corrected by God. Your mind to be corrected. Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, that verse, verse 5. And ye have... Forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. Don't forget the exhortation that speaks to you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. 
nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. You know, there's some people, time the Lord rebuked them, they on the floor crying all day. They can't handle chastisement. The Lord chastised them, try to correct them. They somewhere in the pits of misery. You know, there are even children, and you can, you can see that with some children, that you have to correct them again after correcting them. So you correct them and discipline them, and once you correct them and discipline them, you see a personality, or attitude, or behavior in them that they can't handle correction. Now you got to correct them again because something is still not there that they can accept correction. Because after they've been corrected, they are upset with the corrector. That's a sign to me, especially as a parent, that's a sign to me that you need to be corrected again. Because you can't be upset with me about something you didn't do right. And if you're upset with me about something you didn't do right, and I'm the leader or the parent, right, then that means you're missing that there are things above you. There are things higher than you. There are things that give you command, that give you instruction, right? So he says, look, there's some time when, when God tried to correct some of us, we go off into a temper tantrum. And we faint at being a temper tantrum. On one side, we act like, well, we're going to be upset all day. And the other aspect is we, we shrink. We shrink in a way that we don't know that we're chastised because we're loved. Sometimes if the enemy has beat you up all your life and told you you're nobody, you ain't no good, and then you get chastised, you think you chastised because you ain't no good and nothing good is in you. And it sends the wrong message to you when God chastises you. That's why no one who, people who hasn't demonstrated love should never chastise. If you hadn't first demonstrated love, mercy, support, and care, you have no business chastising nobody. Because you send a, com a confused message to a person who ain't never got nothing good from you and all of a sudden you want to discipline them when they're wrong. No, you hush up. Because you're going to confuse the message. They're going to confuse the message because you haven't built the foundation to correct from. Right? So God says, look, I correct you because I love you. Let's read verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. See, one of the ways God, he loves us, he gives us discipline. That's how he loves us, through discipline. He scourge, scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God gets with you as a son. All right, as with sons. For what son is he whom the father not chased, that chasteneth not? In other words, he don't have any sons that he doesn't chasten. So I tell people all the time, you better be careful if the Lord's never chasing you. I say, you better be careful. It's a sign that you may not belong to him. Because he chastens his children. And if you can do every and anything in your life and never have any type of conviction or chastening, you on your own. I'll be scared. I don't know about y'all. I made some mistakes and I'm saying, Lord, whoop me today. I need to know you love me. Y'all ain't saying, y'all don't understand that mentality. Say something to me today. I got to know I'm still yours. <laughs> But if you be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then ye are bastards. I'm telling you this Bible strong. You ever read it? 
I ain't put that in there. I'm not trying to be mean. And not sons. In other words, he's saying you ain't come from me. That's all he's trying to say. Because your life will have discipline. Your life will have correction. Your life will have chastisement. That's one of the ways that I know you belong to me. Through chastisement and through correction. Furthermore, we have, we have had our fathers of the flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For, the, for, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. He says, so your parents uh, chastened you. I always get a story how, I, you know, I grew up in the days where it was okay. It's not as, it's not okay, it's not as okay today. But I grew up in a day where people in the community can chastise a child. And it was safer then because you knew who was in the village. And the village had the same morals for the most part and it was a much safer type thing. You know, but in today's time, the village has changed. Everybody can't chastise your child. All true. And I remember when I thought I'd talk about, when I thought I can fuss and cuss out the janitor at school. And because I was riding my bike, doing skid marks on the sidewalk after school, went home, got my bike, and took my bike back up to the school. And I decided I was going to do skid marks on the sidewalk at the school and put all the skid marks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Spinning that thing. Hook slide. Thank you, sir. And I, and I put some hook slide marks all up in the sidewalk going into the classroom. Just riding through on my bike. When the janitor saw me, he was far away on the other side, and he said, boy, you ain't supposed to be in here after school riding your bike in here. Well, he was far away, so I looked at him, what you gonna do? You can't do nothing. He said, what, boy? And he went after me, he was so far. I took off, laughed at him, (laughs) looked back, drove off. He said, boy, well, like a kid, I kept on riding my bike doing skid marks. I thought he was way down. I was in the front. Well, how many know he was making his rounds? Well, I'm in the front. Well, about 20 minutes later, he in the front too. I'm passing by now. I'm passing by. He come walking out of one of the classroom doors. Uh-huh. He grabbed my seat pole. Seat pole. The seat pole. Grab it. I'm up in the air about to take off. While I'm up in there, he went away. Oh, yeah, he put it on me, too. I rolled on out there. Tears coming out my eyes. And know what he said to me? Now go home and tell your daddy. And what you think I did? I ain't go home and tell my daddy nothing. I wasn't crazy. Think I went home and told my daddy? and try to explain what happened? It was a form of love. It was a form of chastisement. And we got to get back accustomed to discipline and chastisement. Even at at fathers, uh, natural fathers uh, have chastisement, um, but God chastises for our profit, for our good. To be partakers of his holiness. We read, now no chastening for the present seem to be joyous. 
but grievous. Nevertheless, after he had yield, yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them, which are exercised thereby, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and feeble knees. Meaning, after you get corrected, there's a strength that comes to your life. Hands that were hung, hung down get lifted up. Feeble knees get strengthened. Make, strap, make straight the path of your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Healing comes. Follow peace with all men, holiness without, which no man shall see the Lord. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. So we got to accept the chastening of the Lord if we're going to grow. Now I want to give you these three disciplines of being a believer. There are several disciplines of being a believer, but I want to give you three that are paramount to our fast 2022. Three disciplines. Now there are several disciplines of being a Christian. One is reading and studying God's word. Prayer, we're going to talk about that. Fasting, we're going to talk about that. Also, confessing the word is another discipline. You can write these down. Studying the word, reading the word. Prayer, fasting, confession. Worship is a discipline. It's a discipline. Fellowship with other believers is a discipline of the faith. Another one that God has, uh, has taught me, and I'm getting better at it, is called rest is a discipline. On the seventh day, God rests. That's something I'm learning. You know, Mother Poe um, would give me, she gave me about the same word. She gave me other encouraging words and things the Lord would give me, but she gave me about the same word for about three years straight. Rest, Pastor. Rest. And next time I see her, I think she got something else to say. Rest. <laughs> she ministered to me a few Sundays ago when, I, when the leaders prayed for me right here in the center of the altar. When she prayed for me, she said, you're doing better. Just a little more rest. Because rest is also a discipline. You can go, go, go and never rest. I'm learning how to rest. I know how to work. Now I had to learn how to rest. It's a whole nother thing. It surely is. Celebration is a discipline. Service is a discipline. Generosity, giving, we're going to talk about that. It's a discipline. All right. Chastity or moderation is a discipline. And then disciple making is a discipline, all right? So there are disciplines that we must grow into to really grow into the fullness of what it is to be a Christian. Tell somebody it takes discipline to be a Christian. All right, the first one I want to talk about is giving. Giving. In our Fast 2022, on the last Sunday of this month, I'm asking everybody to give a first fruit offering based on how the Lord has blessed you. It's an increase offering. It's an offering that says, God, you've been good to me, and I'm going to take a portion of what you've blessed me with, and I'm going to give it as first fruit. Some people have already started giving first fruit gifts, all right? And this first fruit gift may be new to some folks, right? But there are many types of giving. There are many types of giving, all right? Uh, and I'll mention those really quick. Uh, uh, one type of giving is called tithe. That's the 10%. All right, that's the tithe. That's a type of giving. It's called 10%. Then you got also another type of giving is seed or offerings. That's the fat. I, already, I, I teach about that all the time. The tithe is the meat and the offering is the fat. Seed, sowing, faith, giving, those seed offerings. All right. All right. Then you got first fruits. That's a one-time type gift based on the increase that God has brought to you. 
Then you got alms. That's a type of giving. That's benevolent giving. All right. So the first three that I mentioned, tithes, seeds, offering, and first fruits are things you give unto God to the household of faith. All right. That's that's the, the first three. The fourth type of giving is when you give to other people. All right, benevolent giving, alms giving. All right, so giving has a, a, a four spectrum type range that we can begin to grow in. All right, tithe, then offering, and then first fruit. All right, and then we got alms, which is giving to other people. All right, so I want you to prepare for the gift of first fruit. The gift for first fruit again is the increase of the blessing. If the Lord has blessed you. An increase, you take the difference of that increase and you give what you can as a one first part of that as a seed towards God. Some people even use first fruit as an igniter, right? An igniter, like, Lord, I haven't experienced increase. My life has been at a standstill, but by faith, I'm going to participate in first fruit to by faith to start something that hasn't started. There are times in your career that you're stagnant, and I'm not talking about being greedy, but how many know sometimes everything sometimes can be changing around you except your bank account, except your revenue, except your income. Don't act like you ain't got natural stuff that's happening, all right? You know, come on, everything could be changing. Come on, the state workers in the state of Florida have been fussing for years on how long they didn't get raised. Some of them start crying, I'm going to the federal government. They get one every year, you know. Right, because the cost of living uh, is high, and sometimes you want to see a change in your income to take care of the needs of your family, the needs of your household, and sometimes you can use first fruit by faith and ignite, all right, ignite by faith, increase coming into your life by sowing seed. How do you believe that if you put an apple seed in the ground and water that thing, put it in the, good, the right place, that is going to grow? How many believe you can start something if you sow a seed? Come on, that's natural. First natural, then spiritual. You can start something. So even if something hasn't taken place uh, in your life, a few weeks ago, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the analogy, Elder Sims at New Year's Eve has begun to testify about the things that God has done to him and his family. A young lady, he sold in her life to start something he she didn't have the seed but he said somebody don't have the seed i'm gonna give you 200 to start something in your life because somebody started something in his life and he gave her a seed to start something and i believe when you put seed in the ground by faith you can start something all right and so many times people when it comes to giving people take themselves out of the realm of the blessing because they start focusing sometime on the amount Right. And so I always say it very simply, if you don't have a hundred, you know, God ain't calling you to give a hundred. I don't know why people go through these type of emotional things when it comes to giving as if, you know, God's talking to you to give something you don't have. You know, if you don't have a thousand, you know, God ain't calling you to give no thousand. Right. But if you got five dollars, God may want that five dollars. You know, you got two dollars. God may ask you for that two dollars. Right. So whatever you have, use what you have to start something with God. It's a discipline of life. It's a discipline that keeps the flow going. I can't I can't get up here and teach you something that I don't do right and so I know how my life runs my life runs by the way of by giving and by blessing people and being benevolent and I give right I don't just give at this church but I give when I go to other churches sometimes I go see another pastor and I sow into that church sometimes I'm visiting another church and I sow into that church I learn how to seed and give and God always takes care of me and I and be and because 
because of that, I'll be honest with you. I'll be very honest with you. I don't worry at all about God taking care of me at all. I don't worry at all about God ministering to me. I don't worry at all. I mean, there, and I'm going to talk about this, but let me talk about it now. I feel you on and about that, so I'm talking about giving. I, I struggled when I was growing, when I got out of my parents' house, I became a young man, and now I'm living on my own, learning how to be a young adult and learning what they call adulting and learning how to take care of myself. One of the fears I had was provision. I had fears of provision. I've seen some things growing up. I know what it is to be evicted. I know what it is to be kicked out of your place. I know what it is to feel that embarrassment. I've been through those type of things and those things can have an effect on you. Now that you're a young adult, you don't want to go through some things you've already been through. Tell somebody, say amen. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be living in poverty. I don't be living in that kind of stuff. That ain't how I foresee my life, right? That's not how I believe. See, But one of the things I was afraid of, I was afraid to give. But I wasn't afraid to save. But I was saving out of fear. I was saving because I wanted to make sure in case anything happened, I had the money there to take care of it. And there's nothing wrong with saving, but you save out of wisdom, but you don't save out of fear. It's different saving out of fear. I was saving out of fear as if whatever occurred, God couldn't handle it. Because how many know you could be saving and something still can happen that it ain't in your bank account? How many understand what I'm saying? And how many know you don't want nothing to happen anyway that takes everything out of your savings in the first place? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. So here it is, I got all this fear as it relates to money and living. And I was on a fast, and I was on that fast. God destroyed the fear of giving in my life. And you may, you'll be surprised if you had struggled in your life that fear will grip you about giving. Fear grip you about giving. You'll be surprised if you struggle and you want to come out of that struggle. Sometimes you'll hold on to everything. Hold on to everything. Hallelujah. When I say hold on, I mean everything. Furniture, pictures, clothes. Hold on to everything. I mean, you hold on to everything. But when you really learn about giving, you learn to let go stuff. Hallelujah. Come on. You can't wear that suit no more, Pastor Joe. Give it up. Hallelujah. Give it up. Sow it to somebody else. It's a great suit, but give it up. How many know you'll get another one? Come on, give it up. You learn to start letting go. You learn that, that flow of exchange. And so giving is one of the aspects God's free you up in your mind. It begins to help you to understand that God owns everything and God takes care of us. See, the reason God asks us to give of our money because we sweat for it and we work for it. And so God gets back to our heart when we give. See, when you give and trust God through giving, it opens back your heart to say, I'm not in control of my life. Now, I don't sweat it for this. I've worked for this. I went to school for this and I'm earning this living, whatever the situation is. But now I recognize I submit my substance to God, right? So I want you to prepare at the end of this month, Sunday, I want you to be a blessing, whatever God leads you to do, to be a first fruit offering in your giving. One of the disciplines I want to make sure that we get past, especially as you're growing as a, a mature Christian, is the discipline of giving, all right? Everybody say the discipline of giving. The discipline of giving, of being a giver, the discipline of giving. And I know everybody waiting on to be rich to be a giver. And if you don't become a giver now, you're not going to become a giver later. You think you're going to give a thousand when you become a millionaire and you can't give $10 now? Same person going to be at work. Same person going to be at work. Now, when you become a millionaire, you learn how to give. Giving a thousand ain't nothing. Everybody else, woo, giving a thousand ain't nothing. You're dealing with big money all the time. But if you ain't learned to be a giver 
on the way? You think you're going to all of a sudden get what you desire and become a giver? You think God is fooled? You think God is fooled? You pray with just sweat. And you were sincere and God was like, he ain't going to give me nothing. God, have you blessed me? God said, he ain't going to do nothing. And how, how does he know? Because he's looking at what's in your hand. And if what's in your hand always stays in your hand and you don't know how to disperse it and give, he knows if he gave you more, what you're going to be. He already knows. You ain't got to prove. What you're doing now proves who you can become. Proves who you become. And so when I learn to start giving, and I'm telling you, I start learning to give before the Lord blessed me with income. I start, I'm telling you, I learned at the level I was at. I learned how to give. I learned how to discipline myself. And as I learned how to give, God started opening up doors. Also, God started opening up wisdom and information. The Bible even talks about the tithe. I got to get out of here, but I feel to push you on this one. The Bible talks about the tithe, that when you get the tithe, a window. He said, well, open up the windows. You know what the window is sometimes? Information insight, perspective. You know what it is to live with closed windows? That means you ain't got no revelation on how to grow. You got no revelation of your gift. You got no revelation of your personality. You just think you're dull. You don't think you're bright. You don't think you're smart. But as you give, God opens you up. God opens up your mind. And sometimes when you give, God will talk to you about yourself. Sometimes when you give, God will give you a dream and a vision about your future. He said, I'll open up windows windows is revelation windows is insight windows is knowledge so you can you can tell David nothing although he was a ruddy boy David the psalm was a ruddy boy David was powerful he had revelation of a slingshot now that's bad facing a giant and you got confidence in a slingshot you can't tell me nothing about what I do when I get in the presence of God with my slingshot. See, see, when you don't know who you are, you'll do what, what, what they tried to tempt David to do when he fought Goliath, is to put on Saul's armor. But he says, I don't have to trade out what I use to, to grow. I know my gift. I know how God prospered me. He didn't put on no armor like Saul. Saul said, put on this armor because you're going to need this to fight Goliath. He put it on. He said, that's not me. God already showed me how I work and how I flow. He took out that slingshot and said, come on, boy. When me and God get a hold of this slingshot, come on, boy. And Goliath was fooled. He was like, <laughs> Goliath started laughing at David but David had revelation of who he was in the spirit with a slingshot David was such a bad boy with a slingshot he had three rocks and only used one that means he has accuracy at the time see three is in case you missed on the first two David had three of them things and hit him on the first one, hit him clunk in the center of his head and, and, and Goliath went to the ground. He took Goliath's sword from him and cut his head off. He said, I ain't need no sword. You got one. I'm going to take your weapon and kill you with your own weapon. That's a bad boy, but it only happens when you understand revelation of who you are. And I'm telling you, some of y'all are locked out of knowing who you are. 
and the greatest thing you need in 2022 is God show me who I am show me my gifting show me how powerful I am show me my DNA show me why I'm made this way before I stop trying to be like somebody else and when you find out how good and wonderfully you are made in God you stop trying to be like somebody else I love who I am in the presence of the Lord try to be like nobody else Cause you know that's insight and when you give up yourself and give gotta open up windows so it ain't just about money all the time it's about wealthy information say give that's one discipline the other one is prayer say prayer prayer prayer, prayer. now prayer is common but as I already taught previously you can pray amiss I was praying to miss as I was praying for the church about the facility in the building. Good analogy the Holy Spirit let us have this morning, brought that to my remembrance. You can miss getting results because you pray amiss. So while prayer is common, there are reasons why people don't pray. Number one, like I said, sometimes pray, people don't pray because they're not accustomed to getting results. See, if you're not accustomed to getting results with the prayer life, then you won't pray often. And I've developed an appetite and a discipline about prayer that I refuse to be praying and not having results. I refuse because I know God answers prayer. See, that, see, see, this whole thing about alignment in prayer is so important. So praying, see, this is, one of, this is why people are error in not getting results about prayer. Because you're too busy trying to pray what you want. Versus praying the will of God. And when you start praying what he desires, you'll find out things go much better. I know people just taught you, just pray, just pray. All right, you just pray. And you're going to be frustrated that you've been just praying and not getting nothing. Don't know what to pray about, got no wisdom about it, but you're not getting results because you ask amiss. That means you miss the target. You're not aligned with where God is. You're not aligned with where the result is. You know, you're not aligned with where the blessing is. X mark the spot and you somewhere over here. But if you pray where God is and where the blessing is so you just can't be a lazy prayer person. You can't be lazy in prayer. You be lazy in prayer, and so that's why people don't often pray, because if you learn how to pray wrong, because you can learn how to pray wrong, then you don't really want to pray, because you ain't used to getting, getting results from it. But the moment you learn how to align and discipline yourself, start praying the will of God, allowing the Holy Spirit and the Word to direct your words in prayer. When you learn that secret ingredient through discipline and humility, you learn to pray more because you know God hears when you pray. You know God, God hears the honest, earnest prayer and the prayer of the righteous availeth much. It wins against all types of odds. So sometimes people are not praying because they're not seeing results. And so they quit. And so they quit. Sometimes people are not praying because they're too busy. Too busy to pray. I'm talking about really pray. I ain't talking about driving down the street praying. That's okay. You can pray that way too, but real prayer takes time. Real good, intimate prayer takes time. It takes focus and attention. 
We've gotten so accustomed to multitasking everything, we multitask and pray. Well, we're praying. I'm not telling you praying. But I'm saying you're missing something because you're too busy. You need to quiet some things and let nothing else be important at that time but you and God. I ain't talking about praying while you're driving. Now, if you're on the phone, you got to pray for an emergency because there's a situation and you're on the phone with somebody, pray while you're driving. Keep your eyes open. Come on. Because some people believe God only hears you when you close your eyes. Open your eyes and pray. But there's something that happens when you are move every distraction and there's nothing but you and God in that time of praying. I'm advocating to relieve yourself from all the business so you can pray. Some people don't pray because there's no, no trouble in their lives at the moment. Their prayer life is only triggered by trouble. And they have a prayer life when they get in trouble. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray when you get in trouble. Because if I ever got in trouble, I'm going to pray. But I'm talking about that your life is constantly flowing with prayer. Some people don't pray because they, for some reason, think they have to be professional in prayer. Now, I'm not talking about being godly or biblical in prayer. I'm talking about professional. Meaning you, you, you act like you're praying before stadiums. God, O oh Father, thou almighty. Thou holy one that sits upon the throne. So worried about being eloquent. Can't pray because you feel like your words are not adequate and you need to see, be fancy while you pray. You don't need to be fancy. You need to be biblical. You need to hit the target, but you need to be sincere. You don't need to be fancy. You need to be fancy. I'll give you a story that I prayed fancy one time. I led a group into a, one time as a young minister, about 20, 19 years old. I led a whole group into a prayer. It was one of the most fanciest prayers ever. And while I prayed, nobody prayed with me. Because that prayer I did was something to see. When I opened my eyes, I closed my eyes, I went to pray. When I opened my eyes, nobody was saying nothing. They was looking at me go. And I was going too. Woo, I was going. And after a while of feeling the loneliness, I slowed down and ended the prayer. As I prayed, the Holy Spirit said, how I feel praying by yourself when you're praying for a group? You want to show them how bad you can pray. And so they just watched you. Because <laughs> I was trying to be a professional prayer at that time, 20 years old, it was a poor crowd. I said, I'm about to razz and dazzle them today. I've been with the Lord. I've been with God. And I went, oh, I went, and I went. Well, I did, I, I did all kind of twists and twirls. I mean, I flipped and cartwheeled in prayer. And when I looked up, they was like, all right. And God would say, see what you get? <laughs> so you don't have to be professional in prayer. But you do have to be sincere. When you pray, this, you got to understand you're bringing God's mind and God's kingdom into the matter. I want you to understand that prayer is a gift from God to everyone. Everyone has the ability to pray. If you have a spirit and a soul, you have the ability to pray. And God has given us the gift of prayer. It's the gift. Prayer is a gift. 
You remember the story when, in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and then Adam went astray? And God comes to Adam and says, Adam, where art thou in the garden? Where are you? What God was actually was saying is, why are you not talking to me? That's what he's saying. Where are you? Why, are you hi- why aren't you talking to me? And the first thing Adam says is the woman you gave me. He said, that ain't what I asked you. I say, why, where are you? Why are you not talking to me? Why? Because even the gift of prayer is even there when you don't do right. And God basically telling Adam, why haven't you reclaimed the relationship with me? Why haven't you talked to me about what just happened? Why haven't you? I've given you a, a channel to get back to me and to talk to me through prayer. And rather than praying, you're hiding. So even if you're not where you should be, don't let that uh, hinder you from coming back to him in prayer. There are times people won't say anything to God because they feel like they've done all types of things and they think that life is better being silent with God. Not true. Prayer is a gift. Prayer is also a command. Matthew 6 says when you pray. So prayer is a command as well. But when he gives it to us, prayer becomes our option and a necessity. While it's commanded by God, when he's given us choice, it's an option we must choose. We have a necessity to pray. We have a necessity to pray. Prayer is a petition. Prayer is a petition to God. It's not begging, but it's an appeal to God to handle a certain matter or to do a certain thing. We got to get back and stay in the discipline of prayer. First giving, then praying, thirdly and lastly, fasting. Fasting is abstinence. It's withdrawal, mostly from food. Primarily traditional fasting is mostly focused on fasting from food. And why food? Because food is an intake we need to keep our bodies going. So when we start fasting food, we're saying, God, you're worth more than what it takes to keep me going. Food keeps our body going. He said, but you are worth more. If I don't have you, then I'm lost. That's what, that's what the withdrawal of food says. If I don't have you, I can have food. But if I don't have you, I'm lost. So fasting is abstinence, withdrawal, right? And the body needs this food, right? The body demands this food. How many ever your body ever took you to a Krispy Kreme? How many of your body ever took you to Krispy Kreme? No, your body will. How many ever been nowhere near Krispy Kreme and smelled, smelled the donuts? Your, your mind ever just been woke up one morning and say, I smell Popeye's chicken. What? The body will demand food. It wants more and more. Come on, y'all know the body. The body, the body wants more chicken. More cake, more sweet tea. Come on, more, 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 more. The body wants more. So when you go on a fast, you're telling the body, I'm going to keep you alive, but you ain't going to get what you thought you were going to get. I'm going to hold you back. I'm going to discipline you. That's what happens when you fast. You start telling your body, listen, body, I'm putting you under my spirit. Because if you're not careful, your body will be the only one making commands in your life and leading you in your life. And the only thing you spend all your time doing is feeding your body. But you tell your body, no, you're not leading my life. You're coming under my spirit and my spirit is going to be first and my spirit is going to be priority and I'm going to discipline my body. 
is bringing your body under subjection to the spirit that's why mostly fasting deals with withdrawal for food but fasting also sensitizes you to the spirit so so if you're praying for direction i talked about prayer you're praying for direction and you seem to can't get through in your prayers add fasting to it what does the doctor do the, the day before surgery fast why fast because it clears up things move things out the way helps them to see what they need to see helps the body to relax don't you understand that after you feed your body your body and your mind is still processing food hours later after you eat the body is doing what it does internally to do it what happens when when you fasting it helps the body relax because it's already processed what it needs to process. It helps clean out some things. It helps visibility. It helps things happen. So even as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. When you begin to fast, things become more sensitive to you. You know what God is saying. You can hear God a little bit better. Fasting adds power to your life. It cleanses you, all right? It helps you understand where God is. It, it it's like, becomes more like a GPS system when you add fasting to your prayer life. It's a filter. It cleans, it detoxes you. Even at one point, after the disciples had prayed for a man who had a son, he had a son who was vexed with the devil. The Bible says his son was a lunatic acting crazy out of order the disciples went to cast out the devil and couldn't the man comes to Jesus and says I went to your disciples and they couldn't cast out the devil in other words I went to your disciples and they're not like you I went to the disciples they couldn't cast out this devil Jesus cast the devil out rebuked the devil out of the boy the boy was healed made whole Disciples apart went apart from the crowd with Jesus and said why couldn't we cast them out? Jesus said because of your unbelief There's a place in you that is still undeveloped But he says but these things will happen through prayer and fasting So sometime to get breakthrough in your life now if you've been stuck in something you just can't get loose add fasting to that thing Start pulling away from certain things, images. And so not just fasting food as we're starting this fast on tomorrow. I want to even encourage you to pull away from anything that's taking up your time. If you just scrolling Facebook all day, looking for something, give it up. If you got to be in your chair at 6 p.m. to watch Netflix, or be on your sofa by this time every day to do this and do that. Give it up. Find other areas that may be taking over your life and taking over areas of your life that you can give to God and give God some time of prayer. Trust me, we got time to pray, but we give it to other things. Yes, we give it to other things. And so fasting and prayer put together becomes a power surge. And I want to really tell you about this fasting. There are things, and I want to say this, there are things that need to be broken in our lives. It could be habits. Fasting. Fast and watch what happens. Fast. Sometimes the images that's coming to your mind is feeding you in that same area, right? You know, if you're trying to fast from shopping, you may have to deactivate the shopping app on your phone. 
You may have to deactivate. You can't keep riding to the mall every day. Talk about I'm just going there for lunch. Because every time you go there, you know what happened. Right? So there are other areas of our life sometimes that need discipline as well. Right? So we know we can fast from food, but sometimes there may be something, another area of your life, and I want you to pray about that. We're going to pray in a second. Other areas of your life that you need to fast and get away from. Now, certain things that you may consider as a fast, some of you just need to give it up altogether. Certain things you need discipline in, and you just need to get these cravings under control. It's okay. God, it's okay for it to be in your life. It's okay for you to have this love for whatever it is. You can be shopping, okay? But it, it can't be at the expense that you're just all over the place, right? So there are certain things you can keep in your life, but it just needs to be more disciplined. There's other things you need to give up entirely. And on this fast, I want you to put some things on the table that you need to give up entirely. If you know you got the habit of getting drunk with alcohol, why you even have it in your home? Say, so, well, I like to have a little wine time to time with my dinner. Y'all know I preach right where people are. Y'all know that, right? Well, you know you get drunk. You know you're consuming. You know you're in excess. Why even have it in your house? There are some things I'm telling you that many of you are going to have to observe and just say, I can live without it. I function better without it. I'm on assignment without it. I'm more focused. I'm more clear without it. Come on, there are things in my life I had to give up in order to live this gospel because certain things I did weren't necessarily sin, but it always attracted enemies of my destiny. I'm telling you, when you start learning, you'll say, I hope I can teach this right. I hope y'all getting this kind of stuff. I said on last week that too many times as Christians we major on what we can do. But as a, a disciple and a Christian who start learning their DNA, you start learning what you should not do based on who you are. And when you start learning that, there are just certain things you just don't do anymore. There's certain disciplines you just don't do anymore. I tell you the truth, I still like R&B music to this day. I still like it. I said I still like it, but you won't ever see me listening to it. Very rare. Still, still don't listen to it because it was one of the strongholds I had to get rid of to get saved. It was one of the strongholds in my life. I'm to my R&B music, you know, nice, pure, not that nasty stuff, crazy stuff. That you, not that crazy stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That crazy music today. You don't know what they saying. They saying some crazy stuff. Y'all listen to some of that music lately? Good, yeah, good you did. <laughs> you got to know when the pastor set you up. You got to know. <laughs> Y'all will be like, yeah, I know, Pastor. <laughs> Telling you. But because certain things have such a stronghold on me, I don't even keep myself in that mood. While I'm lovely, I love being married, and I love all that stuff, I do that spirit had the spirit of lust attached to it for me, and it made me flirty. It made me walking around like I was a cool daddy. I could be cool, but I ain't no cool daddy. I'm, I'm no pimp. I'm no man trying to be smooth to every woman. I'm no, no, no. It had a persona that came with it. I'm, try, I'm trying to help some of y'all so y'all can understand the spirit world and why you behave sometimes the way you behave. I had to let that stuff go. I had to let it go. I already told y'all the story. Y'all know the story for some? You know the story? I, I was addicted to that stuff. 
threw all my CDs in the garbage can. The trash can, the trash, the big one, what it's called? The dumpster. Full of the spirit. Put all my CDs in the dumpster. Had plenty of them. Hundreds of them. Put them in the dumpster full of the Holy Ghost. But I guess I slept it through and woke up in the middle of the night. Same annoying that I had to throw it away. I didn't have it in when I woke up in the middle of the night. Went in the dumpster. Say what you want to say. Before the garbage man came early in the morning. Went up. Couldn't sleep. Went and got my stuff. Yeah, real stuff. Be surprised everything you do to hold on to stuff. I'm just using that as an example. I know I ain't no bad person. I ain't the only one that did them crazy stuff. Had to let that stuff go. I'm not walking around like no cool daddy. God's making me a minister of the gospel. I was going through a purging and a cleansing at that time. Getting all this stuff out of my system. Ain't no cool daddy. Ain't no pimp. You're a righteous man of God. God was purifying my attitude and my perspective. Had to let go of all that stuff. Had to let go of all that stuff there. All these images and all these sayings and all these cliches and all this other stuff. I even had to purify my entertainment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He reminded me of that. I had to purify my entertainment. Some of you got to purify your entertainment. Because some of the things that you call entertainment has too much sin in it. And you're too comfortable with all the images of sin in your entertainment. I always talk about that I love comedy. I still love to laugh. Still to this day. And laughing is is part of medicine. But I was laughing at the wrong things. I would go to Friday night teaching, Bible study. Friday night teaching what they had at church. And after Friday night teaching, I would run home at 10 o'clock and watch Deaf Comedy Jam. Matter of fact, if church went long, I was aggravated. That's how you know really something got you. I was aggravated. Church went long on Friday night. God moved. Somebody got saved. What time is it? No fellowship at the church. Y'all, I'm just trying to be honest with the flesh. No fellowship at the church. Look at my brother, man, we got to go. We got to, man, we got to go. It's almost 10 o'clock. Get home, watch Deaf Comedy Jam. As much as I laugh, com- love comedy, they cussed like nobody's business and I just wanted to laugh and ignore all the other images and all the other stuff that was happening at the time I just wanted to stay immature as long as possible carnal as long as possible so the Holy Spirit said you got to get that up too so it's not that we can't have no fun when you stand on your feet it's not that we can't have no fun but we can't have any fun at expense that it disturbs our soul will you lift your hands We hope you've been blessed by this fresh word from Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Pastor Joseph Davis and the congregation invite you to join them. You can find more information by following them on social media. Just look up Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. And we pray that God will bless you richly and abundantly in the coming days, knowing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him.